It's Monday the 8th of February 2021. My name's Alex Elliott, and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened, and why we should care. I'm joined this week by the editor of Iceland Review, Greta Sigurður Einarsdóttir. Welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I guess the thing people are probably talking about the most today is that the anti-Covid measures were relaxed again at midnight, uh, almost a week and a half before previously expected. Among the changes, bars and gyms are opening up again. The first shipment of the AstraZeneca vaccine arrived in Iceland this weekend, and a mass vaccination centre is being set up that will be able to immunise 500 people an hour from Wednesday. The new jab will not be used for people aged over 65, however and possibly not at all until the week after next. The explorer John Snorri Sigurjonsson is missing on K2, the world's second tallest peak. The three-man expedition was last heard from just over three days ago. Five to seven thousand people are thought to be living in unlicensed and unsuitable housing, often in industrial buildings, a new report indicates. Capelin are being caught again for the first time in almost three years off the coast of Iceland. The man accused of shooting the Reykjavik mayor's car and the offices of his political party is himself a former policeman, it has been confirmed. The University of Iceland's Equality Days included a wide variety of events, largely online this year for obvious reasons, um, including an open meeting on racism in Iceland, both conscious and unnoticed by perpetrators. And finally, the Winter Lights Festival this weekend took on a very different form to normal, um, but Reykjavik City Centre put on its fanciest clothes, as usual. And the event seemed as popular as ever. So where would you like to begin? Let's start with the good news, maybe. Talk about the relaxed restrictions. Um, it's good to be able to go to the bar and the gym again, and the church as well, obviously. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, positive news even though some people are afraid that it might um, might uh, lead to of course as, as every time you relax restrictions if there's a danger of the pandemic picking up again mm-hmm. but i think it's a necessary step for the uh, healthcare authorities to do this because you need to you know keep the public's trust in the in the restriction uh, in order for them to be effective yeah, I mean, you could lock everyone indoors permanently until the thing disappears. Um, no one's going to stand for that. Um, so they do say that they're trying to push us forward as gently as possible, but also, you know, the data supports that they should be doing this now, I guess. Yes, I mean, I mean like I said, it's good news for everyone if, if uh, the infection rates are, are consistently low and, and we get to, you know, enjoy our personal freedoms again. What are the highlights of of the change today, as far as you understand it? Uh, yeah, you can uh, gyms are allowed to reopen their changing rooms and uh, open their weightlifting rooms again. Um, bars will be open in addition to uh, restaurants and cafes that have been open for uh, the past past few weeks and months, mm-hmm. and uh, they will only be allowed to be open till ten in the evening. And, uh, and people not to get caught out have to be arrive before nine to, to stay oh, yeah, until that's ten. That's true. That's yeah. true. And they have to stay seated, which is a key factor. And the thing is, uh, like uh, statistician Thorasplant has stated in the media, uh, that you know if you keep mask use and if you keep these uh, restrictions that limit the you know possibilities of infection, there is a uh, likelihood that we are able to you know keep uh, keep the pandemic down. Mm. Uh, while uh, vaccination progresses 
Mm. And that's the key thing, isn't it? I mean, we were in a similar situation back in the summer, but there wasn't a vaccination then. And yeah, what is, what other differences are there now between now and let's say July, June, July? I mean, like you said, there's a huge difference that they've started the vaccinations. Like now, it's uh, hopefully uh, it's just a waiting game to while they uh, ramp up vaccination production. Mm-hmm. And yeah, hopefully we'll. Uh, the government's goal of having everyone vaccinated by mid-year will pan out. And then it's just a matter of uh, starting to work on rebuilding and, you know, rethinking the, the whole way we live our lives after, after, the, after the catastrophe that last year has been. Yeah. Mm. That's quite a nice thought, isn't it? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> um, so this max va- mass vaccination centre at Lögerdalshut, mm-hmm. which they hope to open on Wednesday, mm-hmm. will process 500 process. Will mm-hmm. treat um, 500 people an hour, but there's no indication that it's going to be needed anytime soon. No, nothing official has been uh, reported on the, in that regard. Um, I mean. I hope they have a reason to be start preparing mass vaccination centers. We'll just have to wait and see when they, uh, when and if they make any such announcements. We now have three types of vaccine in the country, physically speaking. Uh, the AstraZeneca one came at the weekend, but they're not going to start using it right away, I believe. I mean, I wonder why. What's behind that decision? Yeah, there's been uh, international discussion about the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, they're not using it for people over the age of 65 not because it hasn't been shown to work for people over the age of 65, just that it hasn't been properly researched for that age group. And But in uh, South Africa, they have put it on ice because it has shown less efficacy on the South African variant. Uh, so I guess that must be there following the international news of the vaccine mm. production closely and, you know, taking every care. Uh, I won't speculate on if they have any other reason to be uh, holding off on the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine. Mm. That could just be to do with the delivery schedules and yeah, they're, they're trying to spread it out, maybe. Um, yeah, the other two, I mean, they've got enough for 600 people um, in the first shipment. That's not a lot, um, but they're hoping for tens of thousands more over the course of February. Um, but yeah, it has got off to a bit of a slow start generally, hasn't it? Yes, but I mean... Uh, slow start in that sense. I mean, it's off to a very quick start in, uh, if we wonder that about how it's the speediest vaccination creation, probably for a really long time at least. Not ever, and, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, I mean, they are new vaccines are being introduced to the market. I don't know. I decided to be kind of hopeful about this because it's, you were seeing uh, astonishing scientific progress, really. And I mean, we're already seeing uh, an increase in the vaccines available to us uh, from the first plants in January. So let's just hope they keep on. We keep on hearing more good news than bad news. Yeah, no more to add to that. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, maybe we should move on to another topic then. Where would you like to go next? Uh, well, how about uh, the cabling catch quotas being increased again? Uh, it's a big... tell us why this is interesting. Yes. Uh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so uh, it's one of the most, probably most dull headlines you would read about the uh, cabling catch quotas being increased. But actually, uh, when uh, cabling is being caught, it's the second most valuable species of fish being caught. 
and it hasn't been uh, they haven't issued catch quotas for the past two years because uh, the they've been worried about the species. Um, Caplin is a is a tricky fish because uh, it's very short. I won't get into the uh, scientific details, but uh, it's it's very uh, its stock is fragile. Like it can go down very quickly, but then can go up again if under good under good conditions just as quickly. So they uh, sent out some uh, research expeditions to uh, measure the amount of uh, capelin in the spawning areas around Iceland. Um, ran into some difficulties, even though they were had seen indications that there were uh, more capelin than there had been in, in previous years. Sea mm -hmm. uh, ice blocked their uh, expeditions northwest of Iceland, but uh, they the Ministry of uh, Minister of Fisheries made an effort to uh, get the because there's a lot at stake there. Like I said, the second most valuable, only only second to cod, mm -hmm. and this is particularly important for smaller towns uh, outside the Reykjavik area, uh, where a larger pr proportion of uh, people working are working in the fishing industry. So uh, it's good news, especially for people of Westmanair, where they have, I think, one third of the uh, Caplin cats quotas. So they'll be busy there. Up to 20 billion Icelandic kroners are at stake with a, with a 127,000 ton quotas now being issued. And seemingly never more important than this year uh, to get that extra money into the economy. Right. Like all good news... Uh, uh, it's very appreciated these days. I mean, to uh, to show how much this would affect the Iceland's Iceland's economy, um, it was Landsbankin economic uh, forecast. I think that they lowered it by point percent after they heard that they they weren't issuing as much cable and quotas as, as previously thought. From their forecast used to be three point four. But in January, when they had the earlier news that there was less quota being issued, they uh, lowered it to 3.3. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see how that goes, but uh, yeah. yeah. What about the fish themselves? I mean, everyone knows about cod. Mm -hmm. um, is a bit of an unknown, isn't it? We don't eat it on the plate um, directly, do we? No, it's probably one reason why the... Why, uh, it's so easy to let this sort of news pass you by because, uh, yeah, you, Caplin has really no effect on your, likely has no effect on your life. Uh, it's mostly sold as fish meal to Norway and it's raw are sold uh, to Japan and China, I believe, are the third, three biggest uh, export countries. Mm. Yeah, it's mostly about, about uh, money and, and uh, jobs for people in the fishing towns around the country. Mm. And then they can buy cod to eat. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very, it's very good news. And um, the reason there hasn't been a quota for the last two winters is because, as you say, the scientists haven't measured enough, uh, big enough stock size. So that indicates that the fishery is sustainable or it's being, you know, done responsibly. Yes. I mean, that is uh, all cats quotas are based on... Um, advice from the uh, Iceland Marine and Freshwater Research Institute and they won't issue uh, cash quotas unless they have the numbers to support it. Mm. Um, I can't remember the exact numbers for that but I think it's 
they have to have a more than 95% chance of the stock staying at a certain number after uh, after the fishing is done. So, um, and they do that for for all um, all fish that are caught in Icelandic waters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any more to add, or should we move on? I'm good with uh, <laughs> with the Kiplin. Cool. Okay. Where next? Uh, yeah. Um, well, there's the uh, tragic tragic news of uh, an Icelandic woman being murdered in Denmark and the uh, disappearance of mountaineer Jon Snorri in uh, in, in the, during his K2 climb. Mm -hmm. um, both of which have uh, you know touched people and and affected them greatly. Um, yeah, I don't really know if there's a lot more to add to that, only that uh, people are working hard to uh, put every effort into uh, searching for Jonsnari and his climbing partners. Yeah. Um, what do you know about the expedition itself? I mean, it wasn't perhaps that widely covered when they were on the way up. Obviously, everyone knows about it now that something seems to have gone wrong. Uh, no news, of course, on that. Um, yeah, what do you know about the expedition itself? Well, uh, Jonsnari first climbed K2 in 2017, becoming the first Icelander to do so. And last year he started his effort to be uh, the first uh, expedition to climb K2 during the winter. Um, uh, it didn't work out last year. Uh, his team, um, some members of, of his team cancelled uh, on the very last minute. Uh, but he uh, was adamant to try again this year. Um, he had uh, uh, an experienced team, he had uh, father and son uh, climbers with him. Uh, the son was, I believe, the, one of the youngest to climb the peak. Very few people have climbed that peak and so many people have lost their lives trying to. And, I mean, during the winter the conditions there are... are it, you can't imagine. Mm. And um, he, I, I believe he had made two earlier efforts to reach the peak, but was was uh, hindered by the weather. Uh, they had some setbacks. Had He had a, a stone uh, hit his helmet, a minor frostbite, and they had lost some tents and some oxygen um, before they were going up, but they were acclimatized, fully acclimatized, and had... Uh, set up camp underneath a peak, but I mean, you, I don't think any of us can imagine what the conditions are like there. And it's so, it's such a dangerous climb. And then once you're up, once you've reached the peak, you are, you aren't done because the way down is just as dangerous, if not more so. So, but they have sent out helicopters and they are, as soon as uh, weather conditions will offer, they will send up people to search for them and all fingers crossed, but uh, they haven't been heard from in three days. So every minute that passes makes it harder to believe they will be recovered, but you can always hope. Indeed, and people, you know, extreme condition explorers, they, they know how to wait. They, they, it's part of the deal. They, mm. you know, wrap up and just sit it out. Uh, mm -hmm. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Okay, as you say, probably not too much to say on that. Um, you mentioned the, the murder in Denmark. That's 
another thing, obviously, even for legal reasons, we can't say probably too much, but um, that was a surprising thing last week. You don't hear of an Icelander being murdered in Denmark every day or in any country. Mm -hmm. um, and it seemed to be her ex-partner slash husband, um, and then he admitted to it, didn't he? Yes, um, just um, awful, really. Um, we are so lucky that uh, we don't really hear news of this often. Although I believe in the past year there have been two or three reported murders, which is a lot. Mm. Statistically, it's just like around one or two, mm. I believe. And one of them was in Norway. Right, right. Was that a year less than a year ago? That was, yeah, last, last spring, I believe, or, or yeah, earlier. Mm. Um, and then there were uh, uh, two cases where I believe it was the was domestic violence was the reason. I mean, they have uh, talked about the one possible uh, part of COVID restrictions is that domestic violence is likely to increase. Um, they have made efforts for uh, sufferers of domestic abuse to be able to reach out in Iceland. So, of course, everyone is encouraged to either call 112 or uh, go to 112.is where they have a chat available. So, you know, I mean, it's just awful, really. Uh, there's nothing much more to say about it. I mean, apart from the rather horrific detail that came out straight away was that that the body had been dismembered and, and cut into five pieces, and, and presumably in an attempt to hide it. I don't know. But inside and outside, that's very odd. <laughs> yes. I, to be honest, I sort of uh, recoiled from reading too much news about it because, yeah, it's pretty bad. Mm, and I believe he, had, he was a convicted murderer, uh, but... Yeah, just uh, my heart goes out for, for that poor woman. Yeah. And her family and loved ones indeed. Yeah. Um, yep, okay, next topic. <laughs> right, um, we had some strange news uh, recently with, uh, with uh, shots being fired at, at uh, political party offices and the mayor's car. Um, again, this is something we're pretty lucky not to have had too much news about and sort of... And people were sort of, uh, it was surprising for a lot of people, I think. And then it turned out that uh, more political parties had had their offices shot at something that, that hadn't really been reported. And then uh, there was uh, uh, reported that uh, the, the alleged shooter was a former policeman. Um, uh, and we're still waiting for more news about that. Mm. Um, must be particularly strange for everyone working in uh, city government and and uh, something again. Mm. And a former policeman and someone who had had a conviction um, for not a gun-related crime, um, for sexual mm. abuse crime. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting story, if, if nothing else. It is, and it and it 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 <laughs> didn't really make sense to me when I started reading about it because it just sounds like something out of a out of fiction really mm. he was yeah you know, convicted for sexual abuse and then he had uh, had had this honor restored in 2010 I believe before before they uh, stopped doing that following the scandal with in 2017 um, which ended up exploding the government um, 
yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like this man has his demons. <laughs> and uh, uh, hopefully he's getting uh, both the help he needs and, uh, you know, people stopping uh, for him from becoming dangerous to himself and others. Mm. Yeah. The guest I had on the show last week said it was an act of terrorism in the most literal sense because it was an act that was designed to inspire terror. Yes. And I think that was a very good description. Clearly it wasn't designed to do anybody any harm because it was done overnight mm -hmm. and when no one was there. Mm -hmm. That's about the only positive thing I can see in it. It is, and I wonder, I wonder if they had already talked about giving more security to people in, in politics, but I, I mean, things like this have happened before. And the thing is, they aren't widely reported on, and they aren't really just like, you know, in the 80s or something. Um, there was, in, in I believe, after the, after the banking collapse, there was a, a head, someone was caught with a gun outside the government offices. And Icelandic society has mostly always treated this as sort of like, you know, people who are have their own troubles and they haven't really m made it change their lifestyle. Like people in politics don't really usually have security detail and, uh, and, uh, because they don't really need to, or, or we, the, the the community sort of decides that they don't really need to. So I, I, I want all the people in, in government positions to be safe. I hope that it, that it doesn't. Just having this thought of of needing to worry about your security, uh, it creates a, a divide. I think which we have been lucky enough to avoid up until now. And uh, while I obviously believe that there, there must be, you know, their personal safety must be guaranteed, I hope this doesn't really change too much. Mm. And the attitude you mentioned is, is, is broadly true. It's not really, as far as we know at least, it's not a symptom of a wider, more organized threat mm -hmm. uh, in either case. Right. And but it's interesting to think about it with uh, where we haven't avoided this increased polarization in the in the on social media and in the national debate. Um, we're seeing a different debate tactic. Um, people are are sort of lining up more with those who they believe are on their side, on their team, sort of, and uh, nobody likes that, of course. I don't think either either side, if you, if we uh, agree to that distinction, wants that. Um, but I think it's a hard uh, trap to get yourself out of. Mm. Mm, and I wonder if uh, it's something we will sort of need to reckon with as society. That's actually a very good point, yeah. I mean, a more polarized political debate will lead to more extreme views and mm. maybe more extreme actions. Mm. It's yeah. And in this case, it, it uh, I believe some media reported that he had been known for anti, specifically anti, something feelings. And I don't know if he he stated them publicly, but uh, uh, that that is you know disconcerting. Mm. 
sounds almost like it might be a personal issue, something deep, more personal than just politics, because why would you direct so much hate towards a party broadly at the centre of the political spectrum as opposed to one of the ones at the far left, further left or right? Mm, yeah, good question. I mean, I don't think you can separate uh, that it must be a personal issue for, for, for this man as well as a societal issue of increased polarisation. Mm, I think those would go hand in hand. Mm. Mm. But it does seem like a rather extreme action to take against a centrist political party. Obviously, yes. Um, the city politics have been in a weird sort of place for the past few years where you have, because you have a, a, a sort of a broad spectrum coalition uh, city council mm. and very vocal uh, minority opposing their uh, plans and the uh, it's it's most visible in uh, discussions about pedestrian street in the city center. Uh, but uh, it has gotten quite personal, even though the, the topics of debate don't sound too serious. It hasn't got, gotten quite personal and has uh, been directed personally at Mayor Dag Bjergitsson, uh, for instance, with a, with a much-discussed uh, YouTube video or, or a YouTube advertisement where um, concerning a, a square close to his home, which was pub publicly criticized for for uh, showing uh, footage of his home, and the whole thing was narrated by a city council member. Uh, it's a strange situation, really, because you have these sort of minor topics that have spun. Uh, into a much larger debate where there seems to be very intense emotions about it and uh, lines have been drawn over something as small as, as pedestrian zones. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the, I suppose it's the point at which people have converged on this is the the difference between the two outlooks for the city, I guess, you know. It's yes, and uh, it's sort of like where the, uh, it's become a larger debate about what kind of city do we want. There's the, the debate about the, uh, the personal car, if that's the way forward, or, or if uh, we should be focusing on other modes of transportation. But nothing in this debate should give anyone cost to you go into terrorism, really. Uh, it's a, it's a probably a, a communication problem as well. Um, uh, the followers of of the minority in the in the city are um, feel like they haven't been listened to, and uh, they have a and they have people who are speaking out in the media and have gained a following for that. It's the same you see everywhere, probably, um, just on a, on a smaller scale. Just before we run out of time, mm. do you feel that the politicians themselves will be taking this more seriously now? Because for them, at least, this sort of polarisation, this debate, this taking sides thing is probably quite good for them in, in some ways. They don't want everyone to agree. No. Mm. I don't know. I don't think you can get much done when you spend this much time 
uh, debating pedestrian zones. And I hope that's their goal, to be working on getting things done. Um, as for the politics of it, I don't think in the long term it's helpful for anyone. Um, I think some people are gaining um, short-term following for their either uh, support or, or criticism. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely think it's not good for the general public. If it's good for politicians, I don't know. I don't think so either, but uh, uh, maybe in the short term. No one wants to be stressed out at, the, <laughs> at work all the time. Um, yeah, well, there we go. Thank you very much. Um, unfortunately, though, we are out of time. The Week in Iceland will be back on Monday next week on the 15th of February on roof.as forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook, through the Roof app and through your favourite podcast platform. Huge thanks to my guest today, Greta Sigrid Einarsdottir, and also to Lydia Gretasdottir for running the technical side of things. We finish today with a song called Street by Street by Löwe Lien, say you. Bye for now. This view used to bring A smile to my face Lately it's done nothing but Remind me of the way
back my city